Andre and Jordan on Chando last Saturday were getting their house ready for a big party, celebrating a few different things in their lives. Andre had just finished building their house. They were celebrating their first wedding anniversary and a child's birthday. So they did what many people did. They were running to Walmart at the last minute to grab some supplies. And instead of preparing for a party, they ended up being part of a tragedy. As you know, there was a gunman in there who killed Andre and Jordan and 20 other people. Targeted largely because they were Hispanics there in that community. Now, federal government is charging it as a domestic terror incident. Andre died while protecting Jordan. Jordan, the wife, died while protecting their two-month-old. The two-month-old was grazed by a bullet but ultimately survived. And so now the three children will have to make their way in this world without their parents. And as we all watched this play out this week and heard the tragic news, we asked one another, and a lot of us asked God, why? Why? Last year, I had the chance to go to Israel, and there our group stopped at a place called Yad Vashem, which is the World Holocaust Remembrance Center. And there, there were a lot of exhibits on display, a lot of booklets, a lot of videos, but the, the place that really most, made the most profound impact on me was this place, a room simply called the Hall of Remembrance, which was filled with notebooks, the notebooks filled with pages, each page detailing the life and the death of the six million Jewish people killed during the Holocaust. Peoples whose deaths were marked with no graves, no records, no sense of dignity for their lives. It didn't happen that long ago, and so a lot of us, when we, when we read history and we think about history and this atrocity, we ask ourselves, why? Why, God? Some of you are familiar with Ted Turner. You might not know this, but when, when Ted was growing up, he was a very religious young man. And so instead of planning to follow in the footsteps of his father's business, he decided that he was going to be a missionary. He was going to serve people for God all over the world. But when he was 15, his 12-year-old sister, Mary Jane, contracted lupus disease in which your body begins attacking itself. She began suffering. He began trying to spend time with her, holding her hand, trying to comfort her. He began praying that, that she would continue to live. She was praying at the same time that she would die. And ultimately, she did die. And Ted's faith died alongside of her. And he told one reporter this. He said, I was taught that God was love and that God was powerful and I couldn't understand how someone so innocent should be made or allowed to suffer so. Why? 
This is a question that if you've ever experienced pain, suffering, and tragedy in your life, you've probably asked yourself. This is a question that people in pain, theologians with textbooks have been asking for all time now, this question of why. And this question is usually posed this way. If God is all-powerful, and if God is loving, then why is there pain, suffering, and evil in this world? And when we kicked off the series and we were asking, you know, hey, what questions do you have that you'd like answers? Overwhelmingly, person after person submitted this question, this question, why? Why? And this is a great question to ask because this question gets at the heart and the character of God and it affects our relationship with God because if God isn't all loving, well, then maybe God doesn't actually love us if God isn't all-powerful well then maybe evil and the darkness do win in the end and if God desires for this evil to be in this world and he he likes suffering and he likes watching people in pain well then maybe on Sunday morning we, we shouldn't come here and worship maybe we should just go over to Leo's and have some brunch or something I mean this is an important question that we need to ask and we need to wrestle with. And as you've heard me say many times, and I'll continue to say, God doesn't want us to shy away from the difficult questions. But a lot of times we do. We shy away because we, we're afraid if we, we ask somebody or we speak up and say, hey, I'm having these doubts, I'm, I'm having these questions, I don't know why this stuff's happening. One, we're afraid that people are gonna give us some shallow and superficial answers that we don't want. Sometimes we're afraid to ask it because we think if we're, if we're asking God this, then then maybe he's not going to like us as much and we're just afraid to speak up these things. Sometimes we're afraid that if we ask this, we might lose our faith. But here's the thing. If we're talking to God and we're asking God this question, it means that we still have some faith. We still have faith, even if it's the size of a mustard seed. And so this is a very important question that we need to wrestle with and we need to think about. And that's what we're going to do together this morning. We're going to look at this question of why. And now as we go into this sermon and begin to take a deeper look at this question and wrestle with it, I want to just give a few disclaimers here. And the first is that this isn't a sermon that I would preach at somebody's funeral or directly to somebody who's going through the midst of suffering and pain. And that's because when people are suffering and they're in pain, what they don't really want and what they don't really need is some kind of explanation or some kind of rationalization. Typically what they need is something different, which we'll talk about at the end of the sermon. The second thing I want to say is that Christian theologians have wrestled with this question. It's commonly called the problem of evil for all time. And people have approached it in different ways. And so maybe at the end of the sermon, you might think, you know what, I, I don't really like what he said, but I understand what he's saying. I mean, we all interpret the Bible and the passages in different ways. And so if that's the case, I'd love to have coffee with you, talk it over with you, because faithful Christians do disagree on how exactly to answer this question. And the third thing I want to say is that any answer to this question that we have is really going to be inadequate. Because Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but one day we will see everything with perfect clarity. And so one day we, we will have answers, we will have a more full explanation, but right now 
We're doing our best as finite human beings to reflect on God and the revelation that he's given to us. And so as we begin to answer this question, I want us to start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to Genesis chapter 1. And we're starting at the beginning because beginnings are important. Beginnings of anything help set the stage for what is to come later. And they help us interpret ultimately the rest of the story and the rest of the things going on. And when we look at Genesis, we begin to make some sense about God's design for the world, for us, and how suffering begins to enter into this picture. And so when we go to Genesis 1, we, we read that in the beginning, God created everything. God created the plants, the animals, things in the air, things in the seas. And after God created each one of these things, God said that it was good. God said it is good. And then we come to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And I know, look, we've, we've read this passage many times in here. Maybe you, you've tried to like read through the Bible in a year and you started at Genesis and you got like three days into it and so you've read this a number of times. But I want to highlight a few things going on here as we look at this question regarding evil this morning. And the one thing I want you to notice is what it means to be made in God's image. Because if you notice in verse 26, God says this, let us make mankind in our image. And so when we think about the reality that every single person in this world is made in the image of God, one of the things we have to realize is that we were made as relational beings. And God says, let us make mankind in our image. We, we talked a couple weeks ago about how God exists in eternal relationship, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this God of relationship created us for a relationship with him, and he created us to have relationships with other people, loving relationships. So that's one thing we see created in the image of God. But then we also see as we go further, we were not only made for a relationship with him, we were made to resemble him and to be his representatives on this earth. Notice what it says in verse, verse 28. It says, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Think about how before this, God was ruling over everything. God had dominion over everything. But here, God entrusts humanity with a job. And God says, now I want you, some translations say, to have dominion. I want you to rule over these things. I want you to have some authority over these things. So God gives humanity some responsibilities. And then with those responsibilities, God also gives some regulations. He says, look, I want you to do this and not do that. And in Genesis chapter two, we find this, that the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, he said this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we find in the beginning that there was a choice. 
God gave humanity a choice. You can choose to obey me and follow me and go on this path that leads to life, or you can choose not to trust me, not to listen to me, and you can do your own thing. And he says, look, that will lead to death. And so this tree in the garden here is an image of the choices that God gives to us as his creation. And a lot of people, when you come to this part of the story, you think, well, why did God give people a choice? I mean, why would God put the tree there and God give them the opportunity to even die? I mean, why was that even an option in the first place? I mean, that doesn't seem right. But what we find is that the reason God put the tree in the garden and God gave them a choice is this. Real relationship requires real freedom. Real relationship requires real freedom. Jerry Walls, who's a theologian, he uses a simple illustration that that stuck with me over the years. He, He says, you can think about it this way. Think back to when you were a young person. Maybe you were in school. Maybe you're in school now. Maybe it was a workplace. Maybe you're still single. Maybe you were single back then. Think back to somebody that you had a crush on way back in the day. You know, you had those butterflies welling up and trying to get their attention here and there. You were just falling head over heels for this person. And you were thinking, you know what? I might might, might spend the rest of my life with this person. They just put a smile on your face whenever you thought of them. But the problem was is that this person didn't give you the time of day. This person didn't want anything to do with you. This is the coworker who's like, stop talking to me. I'm trying to work. They, they don't even look at you. They don't acknowledge you. You're trying to be slick. Nothing is working. That's the problem. But somebody comes to you with a solution. They say, hey, I have this little thing here. I have a Cupid capsule. You can give them this pill. And if they take this pill, then they will love you for the rest of your life. So you can be happy with them forever and always. And so Jerry Walls, he says, the question is, would you give the person this pill? Now, I'll let you think about how you would answer that question. But he says, most people say, no, I wouldn't give them the pill. I wouldn't give them the pill because if they they took the pill, then they would be forced to love me and that would just kind of go against the very nature of love. Because true love is truly chosen. I mean, it goes against the essence. And so what we see in the beginning is that God has given humanity this choice. He has granted us freedom of the will. We were created in his image. God has freedom of the will. God has granted that to us as well because he loves us and he wants us to choose to freely love him. And so notice what's going on here. Our God who is all-powerful and all-loving does something very interesting. Our God chooses sovereignly to limit himself and to let go of a little bit of control and to say to us, now you have the choice to make. You get to choose to follow me or to turn away from me. Because I love you and I want a real loving relationship with each of you. One person says it this way, God wants to love and be loved more than he wants to be in complete control. And so he says to us, look, you are free to make that choice. 
to make real choices in this life. But here's the thing, when you give somebody the choice to be in a real relationship with you, you also risk the abuse of that freedom. And and you risk that they might choose to go against you in your ways, in your will. And that's what God has given to us. And if you know the rest of the story, you know how it plays out. You know that our problem now is that instead of people choosing to follow God and to listen and be obedient to him, we find that they chose to go another way. And then we see suffering, sin and evil enter into the picture. As you read Genesis chapter 3, 4, where we find that, that Adam and Eve's disobedience, it ruptured their relationship with God. It ruptured their relationship with one another. It ruptured their relationship with creation. They were created to be God's representatives here on earth. That role was ruptured as well. And sure enough, rather than living forever like they were created to do, they experience death. Every person after them experiences death. We find in these early chapters of Genesis, murder enter into the picture. We find suffering enter into the picture. We find evil entering into the picture all because people have misused the freedom that God gave them. And now you don't need a sermon to connect the dots and to let you know that we still live in a world where there is suffering, where there is sin, and where there is evil. All you have to do is turn on the news any night of the week. All you have to do is look deep inside your own heart. You know that this still remains with us. We are all born into a broken world, and now we all share in its brokenness. Paul in Romans chapter eight says it this way. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have been groaning. We've all experienced pain and suffering in our lives. None of us are immune to it. And I know it's popular to say, hey, everything happens for a reason to put a smile on and, and tell someone that to try and comfort them. But, but the problem with that phrase is that it, that it implies that, that God wanted the Holocaust to happen, that God wanted people to suffer, that God, that God likes for people to be abused. But we see here that the, the reason why there's a lot of pain and suffering in this world is because of choices people have made that have affected us and that have inflicted pain and suffering on us and have led it to be in our lives. We see that sometimes the pain and suffering in our lives, the reason for it is because of the choices we've made to go against God and his ways. And we have sown and we've reaped the consequences now. And then sometimes we see that that the suffering in our lives and in our world, it's not explicitly connected to anything that we've done or anything that we've not done. It's not connected to God simply putting it in our lives. We simply see that it is the effect of living in a broken world and sharing in its brokenness. But a lot of times when we're suffering, we we always think, you know, well, this must be connected to to my sin or this must be some kind of punishment. But, But Jesus, when he was walking around the earth, he said, look, he said, look, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And one day he and his disciples were walking around and there was a blind boy. And the disciples said to him, because they thought like people, they said, Jesus, what did this boy do to be made blind? What did his parents do so that he would be blind? And Jesus said, the boy nor his parents sinned. That's not why he's blind. And then one day a tower fell and killed 18 people. 
And people were kind of talking to Jesus and they were assuming that this tower fell because of, of some kind of sin in their lives or because God just wanted to see the tower fall on them. And Jesus was like, no, no. When we look in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, people are faithfully loving Jesus with all their hearts, with all their souls, with all their minds, all their strength. They're going out, they're serving as, as representatives in this world, they're spreading the good news. And guess what? They face suffering, pain, and persecution, even though they're living out God's will for their lives. We find throughout the Bible and throughout our world that suffering is a part of our lives. And, and while freedom of the will and, and the choices that we make and the people have made in the past can help account for kind of the cosmic origins of suffering, it doesn't often help explain in our immediate lives why we suffer. And when we ask that question, when terrible things happen in our lives, God, why? And when we ask other people, why? A lot of times, God doesn't give us an answer. Instead, God gives us something different. God gives us hope. Many of you are familiar with Auschwitz, one of the largest concentration and death camps during the Nazi regime. And people were murdered their day after day, after day. And there, 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 there's a wall which separates two parts of a building. On one side of the building, people were killed by a firing squad, day after day. On the other side was the area where people waited for execution, where they sat knowing what was on the other side. And on that wall where people were waiting today is a little etching, a little carving that's very rough of Jesus. And connected with that carving is another carving of a man clinging to Jesus' waist. We don't know the exact story of how the carving got there. But what likely happened is that someone, as they were living in the midst of this unspeakable evil, as they were living in the midst of this tragedy, knowing that they were soon going to die, they carved that image of Jesus. And then they carved themselves clinging to his waist. Because that was their image of hope in those final moments. And that's really the image of hope for all of us. This image and this person of Jesus, Jesus who said, look, you will have trouble in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus, who serves as a reminder that, that God isn't just a God who created this world and who just left things and said, all right, y'all do what you want. If you want to burn it down, that's fine. And God just went off and was very distant. No, Jesus is a reminder that God hasn't left us alone in this world in the midst of our pain and our suffering. God has entered into our world. In the incarnation of Jesus, God stepped into the scene. He stepped into the suffering and the pain and the brokenness of our world. 
And when Jesus was going around ministering to people, you didn't see him inflicting suffering upon people or inflicting death. No, he was giving healing. He was giving life to people. He was showing people the true will of God and a future taste of his kingdom. And when Jesus was on the cross, we find that, that he experienced suffering. He experienced torture. He experienced execution. The pain, the sin, and the suffering of the world rested upon him. And what humanity intended for evil, God used for good and for our redemption so that we could be forgiven for all the ways that we've strayed from him. And through Jesus' resurrection, we see that he has overcome the power of sin, the power of death, the power of evil, and that through faith in him, one day we too will live in a kingdom where there is no more suffering, there's no more sin, there's no more tears, there's no more death. In Revelation chapter 21, John tells us this. He gives us this image of the future. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And the hope of Jesus is trustworthy and it is true. It's trustworthy and true and yet we live in a world in which sin, suffering, and evil still remain, even though we know that ultimately they will not reign. We live in that in-between time where we're waiting for that day. And it can be tough. It can be tough to experience suffering in our world, even knowing the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? What are we to do while we're waiting for Christ to come and final victory? Well, I would say this, that when we're experiencing suffering ourselves, what God wants us to do is to cling to Christ or to simply let Christ cling to us. Because when we're suffering, Christ is there speaking to us saying, look, I know what it's like. I've suffered in this world. I know what it's like to experience unspeakable pain and I am with you. I am for you and I love you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul in Romans chapter eight says this. He says, who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can stop God's love for us. Nothing can stop his love for us and nothing 
cannot be redeemed when it's placed in his hands. See, we know that Jesus suffered, but we also know that suffering wasn't the end for Jesus. And suffering doesn't have to be the end for us as well. Suffering in and of itself is not a good. It's not a good thing. It's an intrusion into the good world that God has created. It's not God's desire for us. But when we're suffering, God does desire for us to invite him into it. He wants us to invite him into our suffering. And if we're willing to do that, he's able to transform it from something bad into something good. He is able to use it to draw us closer to himself and to draw us closer to other people. And this might be a hard thing to understand if you haven't really suffered a lot in your life, but I would encourage you, if you don't believe me that that handing over our suffering and giving to God, he can transform it and use it for our good, I want you to simply think about the most humble, faithful Christian that you know. And I want you to ask them to a meal and say, tell me your life story. And I would bet you that almost every single person would tell you a story that involves pain and suffering. But their story would let you know that the pain and suffering wasn't the end for them. When they placed it in the hands of Jesus, he was able to transform it and use it for their good. And so when we're suffering, we're called to cling to Christ. And if you don't feel like you can cling to Christ, just let him cling to you because he wants to. And when others are suffering, a lot of times we have that question, what what can we do when other people are suffering and they're going through hardship? When others are suffering, we're called to carry Christ to them. And what I mean by that is this. When, when people are suffering, they're experiencing loss and tragedy, most of the time they don't want or they don't need you to bring them some platitudes or to try to give them some explanation of their suffering or try to rationalize it somehow. A lot of times they're not seeking a reason. We see in the book of Job when Job's friends came to him and were trying to explain to him all these reasons why he was suffering. It didn't work out well. What people don't need is a reason. They need reassurance that someone loves them. They need a representative of Christ sitting by their side saying, hey, look, I'm here for you. God is here for you. We love you in the midst of your pain. They need God working through you to give them a revelation of his love, his power, and his presence in their lives. Because when you're suffering and you're going through maybe a crisis of faith or you're experiencing evil in our world, the reality is a lot of times it's hard to hope. It's hard to think about the future. It's hard to even hope for hope. And so what people need is for you to be hope, to be hope in their midst and point them to the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. And and sometimes that, that looks like simply showing up and weeping with those who weep. Sometimes it looks like cookies and a meal. Our care ministry here does an awesome job of that. 
of just sharing love in a tangible way. Sometimes it, it looks like just calling and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. It's been a few years, but I know the anniversary's coming up. I love you. Sometimes it's just sitting in silence. We're called to carry Christ to other people. And no matter how small our gesture seems, God is able to take those small things and multiply them and use them for good in other people's lives. When we're suffering, we're called to cling to Christ. When others are suffering, we're called to carry Christ to them. And when we see evil and things causing suffering and pain in our world, we're called to commit to fight against it. Because what we find in, in Genesis and in Revelation is that there was no suffering in the beginning. There was no evil, there was no pain. And we find in Revelation that in the end there will be no suffering either. And so now in this in-between time, as we wait for that future kingdom to come and to enter into it, God wants us to commit to fight against all of those things that cause suffering in our world. That's what we see Jesus doing. That's what he calls us to do, to be his hands and his feet, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help give recovery of sight to the blind, to care for those who are suffering and try to alleviate their suffering, to fight for justice in this world so that people suffer and experience evil no longer. Last night, I, I got a small glimpse of it. There was a group from our church who threw a benefit for a girl in our community who's suffering from brain cancer. And they said, hey, we, we love you and we, we just want to show our support and show you that we're here for you. They were committing to fight against suffering in our world. That's what God wants us to do as a church and as individuals as well. He wants us to pray and to put words to the prayer that Jesus taught us. God, may thy kingdom come and may thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So this morning, let's ask God to help us be the answer to that prayer. Let's ask God to comfort us in the midst of suffering and to help us comfort other people. And so God, we know we're finite. We know that we don't understand everything going on in this world, God, and we humbly try to interpret your world and your word and how you're working in it. And God, this morning, we, we come before you that acknowledging that there is, there is suffering all around us, God, personally in our own lives, in our community, in our country, in our world. And God, oftentimes we don't know what to do about it. We don't know how to think about it. But God, we pray that you would help transform our minds. We pray that you'd help transform our hearts, that you would use our hands and our feet to commit to fight against it. That you would help us comfort other people in our midst who are suffering, who are questioning, who don't know where to go because the darkness is so thick all around them. And God, for people who are experiencing suffering and pain, who are having a hard time seeing hope, hoping for hope, clinging to Christ. God, we pray that you would cling to them this morning and that they would feel you and that you would help us be your representatives in this world to them. 
God, we need you like never before. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the relationship that you want with each of us. God, we ask you to forgive us for the ways that we've abused the freedom you've given to us. And we pray that you would help us fight against these things in your world. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray.